0: Hey, it's Tim Benz of Breakfast with Benz, the Trib Live, and the Pittsburgh Steelers Football Network. Be sure to check out my podcast, The Pittsburgh CityCast, presented by Bet Rivers. We dive into the betting angles for all the Pittsburgh teams. If you're from Pittsburgh or a fan of any Pittsburgh sports teams and want to become a sharper, better, this is the podcast for you. So subscribe, follow, and listen to the Pittsburgh CityCast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. When you have the luxury of uh, a one or two goal lead or three goal lead, you know, you, you don't have to manufacture offense, so to speak. You know, you, you can you can just defend and take what the game gives you. That team knows how to defend. They, they have a, you know, they, they have a really good team. That's why they won championships.
0: Well, that was due to happen, don't you think? Tim Benz here in the Pittsburgh City Cast. Penguins lose in regulation for the first time. That's what we're talking about to start the podcast today, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app or go online to BetRivers.com. A lot of people have made a lot of money betting on the Penguins this year. Well, at least to get a point to stay within the puck line or win outright. Not the case last night as the Penguins fall to the Tampa Bay Lightning 5-1 at PPG Paints Arena. First loss in regulation this year for the Penguins. Interestingly enough, first lead all year for the Lightning, if you can believe that. Their only victories so far this season, two of them in overtime. They didn't lead in a game until Braden Point scored against the Penguins to make it one nothing in the second period last night, and then they poured it on from there, opening up a 3-0 advantage and ended up winning 5-1 kind of a reverse of what the Penguins did to the Lightning down at Emily Arena during the banner-raising ceremony to start the 2021 NHL season. And I think we might have seen this one coming, right? I mean, this game was going to go in one of two ways, especially after John Cooper, the head coach of the Lightning, utterly called out his team for how they performed against the Penguins in that first game. Remember, he went so far as to say, I don't think we would have beaten the Penguins minor league team tonight. Well, one of two things was going to happen. Either this was going to be a carbon copy of that game, and we were really going to say, wow, the Penguins are that good without Sid and Gino and Latang and Jeff Carter and Jake Gensel and Brian Rust. Well, Gensel played last night, but not in the opener. So either that was going to happen or it was going to be a reality check. And yeah, maybe this starts the realization period of the Penguins can't keep going on winning like this forever without their star players and the lightning were due to turn things around. Vasilevsky was really good in the second. He stopped a couple of flurries when the penguins had extended pushes. Penguins had a bad break go against them when a goal that Vasilevsky pinned up against his chest didn't stay there long enough to be frozen. It sat in the crease. The penguins scored and the refs had to wave it off because of a quick whistle. Tomlin, excuse me, uh, Mike Sullivan, see where my head is. Uh, Mike Sullivan said afterwards he understood where the refs were coming from on that human error, appreciated the response of the officials who said that they blew it and blew the whistle too quickly, but that doesn't get the puck back in the net, does it? So a bad break for the Penguins there. That probably changes the scope and the landscape of the game, but to no avail. Penguins go down two to feet, five to one. Now we'll see what they do on 90s night against the Flames. You know, if you are betting on the Penguins last night, second night in a row, uh, after the Lightning lost to the Sabres five to 5-1 in Buffalo the night before. I, I would have understood, but as I sort of alluded to before, you knew the run of covering the puck line or winning straight up was eventually going to hit the skids for the Penguins, and it did last night. Uh, we'll talk more about the Pens as the week goes along, but time to get to the Steelers and certainly the news of the day. And I was at the forefront of it asking Mike Tomlin in his press conference yesterday about all those rumors surrounding college job openings and whether or not he'd be a candidate for them. Doug Whaley on 93.7 The Fan last week put the names LSU and USC out there for consumption as possible destinations if Tomlin decided he wanted to get out of the pro game. It was Whaley's suggestion that the boosters and the Alumni base for both LSU and USC could, quote, outspend the Roonies to get Tomlin. Uh, Ryan Clark picked up on that and had his infamous quote of LSU should offer Tomlin a contract so big it would make him disrespectful to Lord Jesus Christ to turn down. And then on Monday, Carson Palmer referenced Tomlin as a wild card candidate for the Southern California job on the Dan Patrick Show. That lent a Trojan's voice to the mix as Palmer claimed he was acting as a sounding board for his alma mater on any potential hires they may make. That's more than just scuttlebutt in a chat room or a thread on Twitter started by some college football insider. To me, that felt worthy of seeking comment from Tomlin, so I asked. Mike, at any point in your coaching career, did you ever have an interest or express an interest in being a head coach in the college game, and do you have any idea how that may or may not have led to folks like Ryan and Doug Whaley and Carson Palmer connecting you to some college jobs.
2: Hey guys, I don't have time for that speculation. I mean, that's a joke to me. Um, I got one of the best jobs in, in all of professional sport. Why would I have any interest in coaching college football? Um, that'll be the last time that I address it. And not only today, but moving forward. Never say never, but never. Okay. Anybody else got any questions about any college jobs? There's not a booster with a big enough blank check. Thank you. Anybody asking Sean Payton about that? You know, anybody asking Andy Reid about stuff like
0: that? Well, actually, Mike, sort of. I don't know if anyone asked Sean Payton about it, but he was linked to a college job in 2015. The job in question was, yes, wait for it, USC. And Peyton was also asked about Michigan's job opening in 2014 directly. So, yeah, that was not exactly the best example to cite. Regardless, the there isn't a blank check big enough bravado within Tomlin's response served as a direct rebuke to the speculation. More than, say, James Franklin's, as he did with Tomlin on Monday's Dan Patrick show, former USC quarterback Carson Palmer Tied Franklin, the Penn State coach, to the USC opening as a potential candidate, and Franklin's response was substantially less emphatic. He said, quote, my focus is completely on Illinois. Of course, he meant Ohio State. They played Illinois last week. And this team and this program, I think I've shown over my eight years my commitment to this university and this community, and that's kind of my statement. Of the two, you'd think Franklin would have more to gain by shutting down the rumors vehemently if he wanted to shut them down. After all, it's at least conceivable that Franklin may want to make that move. So, come to think of it, he actually has a lot more to gain if his name stays in the hunt, like a lucrative new contract in Southern California or leverage to get even more money out of Penn State than the $38.2 million he was given in 2020. Forget what's going through Franklin's mind when he was asked about those vacancies, though. Anger appeared to be going through Tomlin's. Disgust. I even asked him about the prospect of taking a college job. Honestly, I didn't understand the conversation either. Why would Tomlin ever want to leave the legendary stability of working for the Rooney family? Why would he ever voluntarily want to endure the hassles of recruiting, dealing with college administrators, NCAA regulations, 18-year-old diva amateurs, pesky parents and boosters? Yeah, exactly. Why? I was asking myself the same questions. Hence my desire to get answers directly from Tomlin. I assume there was no smoke to the fire, but why was anybody rubbing two sticks together to get the smoke in the first place? Maybe Tomlin was sick of the NFL. Maybe he wanted a change, a different challenge, a different way of life. Perhaps he has a unique respect for shaping the character of younger people, the ability to coach a roster of players that's desperate to get to the NFL instead of being the steward of a payroll of $178 million. Tomlin keeps an extreme distance from the local media. I don't know him personally well enough to have any insight into those questions. Maybe Doug Whaley did. He was the director of football operations during Tomlin's first three years before eventually becoming the Bills general manager. It was Whaley who touched off the Tomlin to the college ranks thread during an appearance on 93.7 The Fan last week. He said six letters for Steelers fans to be concerned about. LSU, USC. Think about that. Both institutions can outpay the Runnies. Their alumni base has enough money to give Mike Tomlin whatever he wants. That's what Whaley said back on October 20th. Now, I hear that, and I think, hmm, I figure a guy that worked with Tomlin for a while would be the last person to advance such a seemingly odd fit unless he knew something we didn't. Then the next day, Clark, an LSU alum, added fuel by going on ESPN Radio 104.5 in Baton Rouge, And he said, like I said, people don't pull stuff out of thin air. This isn't the first I've heard of this. This is the first time I've heard of it publicly like this. And then he made his Lord Jesus Christ reference. So to reiterate, am I going to assume I know Tomlin better than a guy who's on both of his Super Bowl rosters? If Clark isn't dismissing Whaley's theory, should I? Now, some disagreed with me. Don't bother asking. There's nothing to it. It would have just gone away on its own. I heard that a ton on Twitter and on the Radio Tuesday. Well... Really? Because last week was a buy. Tomlin wasn't around to ask. The rumor grew two extra legs over five days as he stayed silent about it. So perhaps giving him a chance to end the speculation was the most direct route toward making the story go away. Or, you know, asking a question in hopes of getting an honest answer, which is somewhat inferred as part of my job description. One of two things happened. Either Tomlin was comfortable with speculation being at arm's length, on national blogs and talk shows, or a sports cast in Los Angeles or Baton Rouge. But when I brought it into his house, he popped. Maybe that's why he was as angry as he was. Or he was dying to sound off and put the speculation to rest at the first possible opportunity that the question was asked. And I provided that opportunity. As a result, he's now quelled the discussion a heck of a lot more this morning than what would have been the case if no one had bothered asking. Either way, Tomlin accomplished the task he wanted to accomplish. I got an answer, and I think a lot of Steelers fans were waiting to here. So everybody's happy, even if they didn't look that way behind the podium or maybe come off that way on this podcast. I guess it's I, I'm more frustrated by the reaction on Twitter and in the blogosphere to the question that I asked of Tomlin than I am upset at Tomlin's response. You know, if we want to go through the theatrics of I've got to ask the question and he's got to give an emphatic statement, I can do that. It's part of the role we play in this gig. Tomlin can do that. It's part of his role as a public figure, as a coach. But I just didn't like the demeaning of the question as if, where'd you pull that one from? It wasn't a Pittsburgh-based thing. While Whaley might have said something on Pittsburgh Sports Talk Radio, Clark said what he said in Baton Rouge, and Palmer said what he said on a national platform and as a quasi search committee member, if you will, for the USC Trojans job. So that's how that went down on Tuesday. And that's what my life is like today on Wednesday. So there you have it. All right. Um, Oh, by the way, and if you're reading Sports Illustrated, they're trying to inject race into all of this, like, you know, what Tomlin said at the end there, where he brought up Andy Reid and Sean Payton. You know, anybody asking them those questions? I don't know if Tomlin was implying race to that or not. SI certainly suggested that they were. Michael Rosenberg in his column Uh, Sean Payton was asked about it, as I pointed out, in 2014 about Michigan, and then was linked to another job in 2015 with USC. Two guys who started this conversation are black, Doug Whaley and Ryan Clark. Any attempt to inject race into this conversation is folly. It's tragically flawed. But when we come back, we'll switch gears. We'll get to some of the other things that Tomlin said during the press conference that I think are worth talking about in advance of the Browns. By the way, Cleveland, a three and a half point favorite over the Steelers heading into this game, which I think is just about right, and I'll tell you why when we come back here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. Brought to you by Bet Rivers.
1: Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you to be in control of your football bets. That's why players love the same game parlays at Bet Rivers. Same game parlays let you mix and match player props and game bets, and gives a payout boost to the winning combinations you want to root for. Combine two bets or combine many. You pick your confidence level and then watch the game unfold. Bet on same game parlays at betrivers.com or download the Bet Rivers app. Presented by Rivers Casino, Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler.
0: The Pittsburgh City Cast is presented by Bet Rivers. Bet Rivers Sportsbook is the industry leader when it comes to online sports betting and it has you covered for the NFL season. They are offering same game parlays in all pro football matchups. They are bringing back their Reduce the Juice promotion on game days. And this NFL season, they have a $1 million Beat the Spread Challenge with thousands of dollars given away each week. Pro football betting is more rewarding at BetRivers. Download the app or go to BetRivers.com to bet.
2: Circumstantial. Stay tuned. Uh, Meek is a playmaker. Uh, He makes plays. Um, I'm sure... Um, When we're looking back at this, you won't have that question.
0: Okay, back right now on the Bet Rivers CityCast. Tim Benz with you. Yeah, aside from Mike Tomlin swatting away my question about the college jobs, there's lots of other things to discuss as it relates to his team going into the Cleveland Browns game on Sunday up in Cleveland, the first of which you heard right there uh, when he was asked about Minka Fitzpatrick's lack of turnovers He hasn't had an interception now in about a calendar year. I think it was two against Jacksonville sometime in early to mid-November. But Fitzpatrick, the way I view the debate about how he's being deployed, I think that might be affecting his ability to get turnovers a little bit. The quest to get him closer to the ball may actually be backfiring. You know, I think it was 2018 at the end of the season, excuse me, 2019 at the end of the season, his first year in Pittsburgh. After the Steelers got him and he got that disproportionate amount of turnovers, a lot of tipped balls, passes thrown for other people that deflected off the hands of would-be receivers and other defensive backs that he intercepted 20 yards down the field. Like everything that Fitzpatrick got in terms of a ton- turnover, it seemed like almost, they might have been a six out of eight if I went back and looked at the story. Um, he was 20 yards off the ball when the play started. And either the run came to him or the pass went somewhere else and it got deflected or he made an interception himself in coverage like the pick six that he had against the Colts where he fell back in coverage and intercepted a pass near the goal line. Let's not forget that play against the Rams where Jared Goff got his forearm hit and the ball just kind of rolled to him after a sack from Javon Hargrave and nobody reacted to the loose ball and he just picked it up and ran into the end zone. Like He got a disproportionate amount of good bounces and I don't want to say luck, let's just say good fortune because he was in the right place at the right time and being in the right place was a big part of it and he is athletically and intuitively adept enough to make the plays when the opportunities present themselves but they haven't presented themselves and they're having a tough time putting him in a spot to force the turnovers to come his way. Furthermore, I think in so doing, they might be exposing themselves on the back end or themselves on the back end because I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing more Balls up top going over the heads of Steelers' defensive backs and going for long gains. Maybe if Fitzpatrick is there more often, you don't see that quite as much. And tackling is not the strongest part of Fitzpatrick's game. He might be leading the team in tackles right now, but I bet you if we broke down the film, he's probably, if not the leader, among the leaders when it comes to missed tackles as well. That was certainly the case against the Seattle Seahawks. Being in the middle of the defense isn't necessarily the strong suit for Fitzpatrick. He's not Jamal Adams. He's not Troy Polamalu. He's not Brian Dawkins in that regard. So maybe we're trying to take a square peg and put it into a round hole in the conversation after all. Now, speaking of the missed tackles, one thing that I think is exacerbating that situation is the absence of Stefan Tuitt and Tyson Alualu. Holes are being opened up on the right side of the opposing offensive line, the left side of the Steelers defense. That's where Tuit usually is. No nose tackle presence from Aluwalu. Alu. Even if they're in the nickel, then you've got Aluwalu Alu playing the Stefan Tuwitt role. If Tuwitt is out, essentially they're losing three guys with two injuries, and the Steelers are getting killed because of that. I think wide open holes are there to be exploited by running backs. I think they're hitting the holes with a head of steam. I think the running backs have a chance to navigate their way through the hole and set up a missed tackle, which they're doing. I think that's making things harder on defensive backs and linebackers to come up from the second and third level to fill the gaps. I think that it's an augmenting factor to why you're seeing as many missed tackles as you are. So I asked Tomlin before I made him out with the college question, uh, what's going on with Tua, when might he be back, and how are the other guys doing playing behind him?
2: No update on him. He, his return is not imminent this week. I don't anticipate it, but although it's going well, um, he's progressing, but not close enough for participation. We've had some challenges in the defensive line, not only the two that you mentioned, but Carlos Davis has missed some time, uh, but it's provided opportunities for growth. I've been pleased with the general growth and development of Loudermilk. Man, we're challenging Isaiah Bugs, man, to step up and and be a consistent varsity contributor. He's a guy that's been around here a number of years now, and and, and opportunity is knocking for him due to the misfortune uh, with Tyson. And so that's that's the component of this thing that that makes football the ultimate team game. Uh, some challenges associated with with the guys that you mentioned not being available, but it's also opportunity for others. Um, you know We're excited about continuing to watch the growth and development of some of those others and watching them answer the bell and and rise up and meet the challenges.
0: Well, whoever it is, somebody has to play and play better than what's been going on so far in the absence of Alo alo and Tewit. That's become a big deal. One other interesting response from Tomlin, Baker Mayfield, Case Keenum, who's going to play quarterback for the Browns? That was asked of Tomlin. How much of a difference is it? Uh, I think the question was essentially phrased, well, look, doesn't Baker Mayfield bring some – extra added element to what the Browns can do offensively as opposed to case Keenum and Tomlin actually downplayed that.
2: Not, not based on where I I sit here today, you know, just specifically looking at the schematics and how they attacked and the things that they did a week ago. It was, it was the Cleveland Browns. Um, They just plugged in five. Um, So, you know, but that's what a veteran quarterback provides you. It provides you an opportunity to, maintain your personality and it appears that they're capable and they have done that.
0: Yeah. So interesting quote there from Tomlin, especially if Mayfield does play. I actually think the Browns might be better suited just having case Keenum play to the exact point that Tomlin brought up because it is about their run game, especially against the Steelers defense that is struggling against the run um, with, Baker being compromised at the very least by this injury, it would especially be about the run game like it is with Keenum if they did play. Even if Tomlin is wrong in that analysis about the difference between Keenum and Mayfield, I don't think he is, by the way, but even if he is wrong, it would be wrong by a very slim margin because I think the injury to Mayfield narrows that gap between the two. I think it ties back to the second thing. Uh, about Stefan Tuitt more than any other topic, Tuitt being out, alu being out, if the Browns can run against the Denver Broncos the way that they did last time out without Chubb or Hunt and one of their tackles, Jack Conklin, and two of the other guys, Treader and Wills, being banged up, what are they going to be like after those injured guys had 10 days to rest, Conklin might be back, and Chubb might be back. Good Lord. I think that's going to be a nightmare for the Steelers' run defense, and that's why I think it's smart to bet on the Browns going into this week. Cleveland, a a three-and-a-half point favorite. I love that line. The over-under at 42 kind of spooks me. Uh, I don't have all that much of an interest in playing the total in this one. I'm not quite sure how that will go. My hunch is to stay under because I think both teams will try to run and I think the clock will move quickly, but I could be wrong on that. We could see a bunch of long runs from the Browns, kind of like what we saw in the playoff game of a year ago. I like Cleveland minus three-and-a-half in this one. Speaking of the Browns, when we come back, Andy Baskin joins us. Andy from 92.3, the fan in Cleveland. He'll give us a Browns perspective. He was on with me on 105.9 The X. We'll hear a portion of that conversation. Plus, some interesting news about the pit lines that you may not have seen. That's coming up on the Pittsburgh CityCast.
1: Rivers Sportsbook wants you to be in control of your football bets. That's why players love the same game parlays at Bet Rivers. Same game parlays let you mix and match player props and game bets and gives a payout boost to the winning combinations you want to root for. Combine two bets or combine many. You pick your confidence level and then watch the game unfold bet on same game parlays at betrivers.com or download the bet rivers app presented by rivers casino pittsburgh must be 21 gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER
0: A couple of interesting notes, the final segment of the Pittsburgh CityCast here, uh, one of them from Missy Matthews at Steelers.com. The Steelers have won their last four games coming off the bye week. Pittsburgh is 3-0 since 2002 versus the Cleveland Browns after the bye. A uh, couple of notes to keep in mind as you wager on the Steelers. Like I said, I would go with the Browns at minus 3.5. Those numbers might sway you the other way. I would caution, though, the Browns have never been – this good. And, and I don't know if the Browns have ever been a favorite against the Steelers coming out of a buy situation like that. I doubt that they have been. So uh keep an eye on that number, but maybe delve a little bit deeper before you place a wager based on it. Anthony Jaskolski, who you hear on occasion here in the Pittsburgh City cast, had a couple interesting notes as well from Pittsburgh Sports Express. Updated odds to win NFL Rookie of the Year. Jamar Chase minus 120. Mac Jones plus 450. Najee Harris. Of the Steelers, plus 800. Um, I'm not surprised to see Najee there. I'm not surprised to see that be the number attached to his name. I am surprised, though, that Jamar Chase is only a minus 120 favorite. He should be running away with that. Uh, I don't know why you bet against Chase or bet on anyone else, for that matter. Unless you fear injury and you want to play the long game on the odds, go ahead and do it. But that's Jamar Chase's award to win for sure. And then he has this interesting nugget about Pitt. Panthers a 9-point favorite over Miami on Saturday. The biggest line for Pitt in the history of the matchup. And just the 4th time Pitt is a favorite over Miami in the Heinz Field era. Pitt lost straight up all 3 times. In 2019, 16-12, to 12, they were a 4.5-point favorite. In 2015, they were a touchdown favorite. They lost by 5, 29-24. And in 2013, they were a loser 41-31 to 31 when they were a 1-point favorite. That is definitely something to monitor as you consider bets on the Pitt Panthers against Miami because that's kind of evidence to me that this is exactly the kind of game that Pitt tends to lose or at the very least doesn't look good in coming off a huge win against Clemson. All right, uh, let's get back to more Brown Steelers conversation. Andy Baskin joining me on 105.9 The X this week as I was filling in for Mark Madden. Andy from 92.3 The Fan, midday show host there. And we got into lots of conversation about the Browns and how they are healing in advance of the Steelers game coming up on Thursday. Andy, great to catch up with you again. How you been? Benzie, I'm good. How's life treating you? I hope well. Yeah, it's going pretty well here. I'm curious what you think about what you saw from Cleveland so depleted on its roster, yet effective enough to win against the Broncos on Thursday night.
3: Well, I I think that they were able to be really effective with the Johnson, considering that Kareem Hunt's out and Nick Chubb will be back this week is what it sounds like after hearing Kevin Stefanski today. So, um, you know, they ran the ball really well against the Broncos. I don't think the Broncos are one of the finer teams in the NFL, but the Browns did did what they needed to do because staring down four and three is uh, way better than staring down three and four.
0: Yeah, the Broncos are frauds. I think that was proven by Baltimore and Pittsburgh before they even got to Cleveland, and Cleveland did what it needed to do. Um, I still kind of thought the Broncos might win because of so many injuries involving the Browns, especially in offense. Let's get to Baker Mayfield next, Andy. What's the status on him? And uh, talk to me about the difference between him injured and Case Keenum healthy.
3: Well, right now, as of today, it's still up in the air. Baker Mayfield is going to need surgery for his completely ripped, torn labrum. Um, It's torn all the way through. So at some point, he's going to need surgery. At least that's what everyone's telling us. So the the question is, is when is that surgery going to happen? And if he can play with pain, trust me, all you have to do is give out our phone number on the air and someone will call and tell you that their kid fell down the stairs and their kid had a torn labrum and they were out for eight weeks. I mean, all day Friday, that's all it was, was, I had a torn labrum. I had a torn labrum and it was just on and on and on. It's just like, okay, we get it. So Baker's got to figure out what he's going to do there. But I really think it's up to Kevin Stefanski because at first Baker was like, look, I'll figure out if I can play. And at the end of the day, we all know it's, it should be on the head coach to figure out if his quarterback can be effective. And we just don't know what Baker Mayfield we're going to see. We've seen Baker be really sloppy <laughs> in some bad games And then he looked pretty good, you know, uh, in the game before the Broncos game. So I don't know, but I do know that Case Keenum is a very efficient backup quarterback, uh, especially with a healthy offensive line, because it sounds like Jack Conklin's going to be back this week. So, um, you know, is is it a drop off between high level Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum? Yeah, that's a huge drop off. But injured Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum may not be too far apart.
0: All right. Well, then extrapolating that, you're dealing with all the Dime store medical degrees that people are offering <laughs> up, Andy. So here here's my dime store talk radio uh that I'm advancing. Uh, my opinion on it, or at least the one that I've heard a number of times over, is that it might be better for the Browns to go with Keenum because if Mayfield is in there, he'll be more inclined to throw when it's just as easy to turn around and hand the ball to Dearness Johnson or Chubb against the Steelers. Do you subscribe to that? See,
3: I think one of the reasons and, and um uh... Yeah, a little bit. I might buy into that a little bit. But I do think that Baker under Kevin Stefanski last year was a much different quarterback than he was, you know, the year before, or anybody else who had been coaching him before with the Browns, you know, whether it was Freddie Kitchens or not, Baker was playing within the rules of what Kevin Stefanski wanted last year. And he became extremely effective. I don't know if you remember when he was playing for Freddie, he was throwing the ball around like crazy and was getting picked off left and right. Well, Kevin toned all of that back, and that's why I think one of the reasons why the Browns were so successful, other than the fact that you also have two of the best running backs in the league. So when he toned it back, he was successful, and some people will uh, equate that to being a game manager. I don't care. It gives the team wins. So you want to call him a game manager, call him whatever you want, and we can worry about his contract in three years. But this year, there have been times when Baker has resorted back to where, he was a little free-flowing, and I, I just don't know if that's the right thing for him right now, especially with the injury.
0: 92.3 The Fans, Andy Baskin, is with us here on 105.9 The X. Tim in for Mark Madden today. What about Johnson and Nick Chubb in the backfield? Will they use Dearness Johnson in the same way they often do with Hunt when Chubb is healthy? Can they kind of be a 1 and 1A one the same way that Chubb and Hunt were before they both got hurt?
3: Yeah, I think knowing Kevin and the way he's been running these guys, it'll be one or the other. So expect Nick to be out there for two downs and Dearness maybe for one. The Browns have another pretty good running back in Demetrius Felton, too, who didn't see it. He saw it just a little bit of time. We saw him in the preseason, um, and he's dynamic. He'll return kicks, so you'll get to see him there a little bit more. But I thought uh, I, I was kind of surprised. I thought they might use Felton a little bit more. But uh, the way Dearness Johnson was killing and just eating up yards against the Broncos, there was no reason to go to anybody else. Um, I would expect Nick Chubb to carry a heavy, heavy load on Sunday. So they can use both of them, but I think as long as Chubb is standing upright and can move the ball forward, he will be in the game, and he'll be running the ball. He'll, t- he'll get the majority
0: of the carries. That was sort of my next question. Are we talking about Nick Chubb, who might be pretty close to 100%? Like, was he 50-50 almost a go the other night, and is he pretty well-rested at this point and close to 100% do you think?
3: Yeah, I I don't know. I think that they were taking extra precautions because it was a Thursday night game. I really think that that was, like, if that was a playoff game, I think Nick Chubb would have been out there. That's just me talking. That's with no medical background and just saying that, you know, we all have that that threshold of pain. And I think that if it wasn't such a short week, I think they would have gone with Nick. But they have great confidence in Dearness Johnson. He had a really big game last year against Dallas, and they know what he's capable of. And I think, you know, the way you were looking at the Broncos is the same way I looked at the Broncos, it was a golden opportunity for Dearness, Dearness Johnson to have a big game and he did it and he came through. And I don't know if you got a chance to see it and I don't care if you hate the Browns or you just, you just you know, can't stand them. If you go back and watch the genuine um, passion for the rest of the team to watch Dearness Johnson, who just battles every day in practice. And it was a scout team guy half the time, you know, trying to show and the, and the, the, just that whole recognition by his teammates after the game when they were handing out game balls. It was it was really something special. I think anybody that plays any team sport, whether it's in Northeast Ohio or or in, in the Pittsburgh area, that you can appreciate that moment of seeing a guy who works hard gets no recognition, gets some recognition, and I think that's why we all get involved in team sports at some point in our life.
0: How about the rest of the offensive injury concerns? The three wide receivers, and I guess what, Jack Conklin is the only offensive lineman who's of note to be concerned about at this point. Is that right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like, (laughs) excuse me, Jack Conklin is going to play. That's what it sounded like today, according to Kevin Stefanski. So he's back in the mix on that. If not, Blake Hance, who is a guy that no one knew uh, until the Browns played the Steelers last year in the playoff game. And, you know, there was the moment where Baker said, Hey, my name's Baker, and your name, oh, hi, my name's Blake. I mean, that's where they met was in the huddle of the playoffs <laughs> last year. So, I mean, that's how banged up the Browns were uh, at that point. But Blake Hans has played pretty well, um, so he'll be able to to play if they need a little bit of depth. But as of right now, it looks like the Browns starting five on the offensive line from Jedrick Wills to Joel Batonio, J.C. Treader, Wyatt Teller, and Jack Onglin are all uh, going to be on the field Sunday against the Steelers. When it comes to the wide receivers, um, we don't know. Jarvis Landry got a little banged up in the last couple plays against the Broncos, and we are hoping that he is going to play Sunday. I think, to me, I think Jarvis Landry is the most important player. I, I know he's the most important wide receiver. I would venture to say, though, outside of the quarterback, he's the most important player on the offense as far as you know making things happen. And uh, Jarvis, to me, was a, is a huge cultural change for the Browns. When he came up from Miami, he set the tone for what they could be in the future, and he has never backed down from you know, saying, why not the Browns? Why why do the Browns have to be a 1-15 or an 0-16 team? And So I think his attitude runs rampant, and we saw that, especially on the first drive of the game against the Broncos. To have him back was a big deal. Donovan Peoples-Jones pulled a groin right before the game against the Broncos, so I don't know. He's a good fantasy guy for down the road if anybody's looking for somebody. I think Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to pick up a ton of yards here. Somewhere down the road, especially when they have to make a decision on Odell Beckham Jr., who has just been – frustrating to watch it best. Now I thought that, you know, Odell is Odell's hurt. He's all banged up and he's not planning on having surgeries. He and Baker have had rhythm problems all season long. They've had rhythm problems since the beginning. They're waiting for a huge breakout game between the two of them. If Odell is healthy enough to play, um, I, I just I don't I just look at him as another wide receiver. He's the same as Richard Hollywood Higgins for this team. Those guys are both interchangeable at this point. And to me, Jarvis is a step above the both those guys. Then the other guy that you might want to keep your eye on is uh, Anthony Schwartz, who they drafted this year. As a He's the
0: super player. fast guy, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah, and he, but we haven't seen it yet. We're still waiting for it. Well, I'm waiting for him to burn by a DB and catch a ball. So I think Browns fans are still waiting for that. Well, that's
0: what Henry Ruggs did to him when they were playing Vegas. So I've got that yeah. image in my mind's eye. Andy Baskin, 92-3, the fan in Cleveland. How much has Jeremiah owusu Kormoa missed? And uh, what about James? How is he doing?
3: Um, I, well, so um, uh, let me start with uh, owusu Kormoa And then he has been a difference maker. Like, they had the reins on him a little bit in the beginning. And we were waiting, well, let this kid go, let him play, let him play. And probably two weeks into the season, they finally did. And when he did, he made a huge impact. So he's on the IR right now. And they, excuse me, they really miss him. I like, I, it was only one game, but I love the way that kid plays. And he's, he's all over the field. He's what a linebacker should be when you let him go. I just think sometimes the game has changed so much that, and especially in Cleveland, it's like, I don't feel like we have huge impact linebackers and we haven't for forever, feels like Clay Matthews this last time maybe we had one. And it's just, it takes forever. And so finally you got one. Now he's hurt. So that's a problem. Anthony Walker um, has been okay. And, you know, he's been hurt. Um, he had a little bit of an influence in the last one. So he's another guy that can make a difference. Who was the second guy? You asked uh, I'm about- sorry.
0: I said, Dun- Jim, I mean, Denzel Ward. I apologize.
3: Oh, hey, Denzel's struggling. I mean, he's a guy from Northeast Ohio. Went to Nordonia High School, played at Ohio State. Um, and people want to root for him. A high draft pick. Um, but he has struggled with injury, and I, I don't know where he's going to be this week as far as injuries are concerned. It looked like another hamstring issue uh, in the last game. Hamstring has kept him out for a while. Uh, Denzel's looking at contracts coming up. It, it's it, it, The tide has turned on him to at least try to at least be a mediocre cornerback. Mediocre there are games he shows up, and you're like, Denzel, man, what are you doing? And then there are other nights you're like, all oh, right, that's awesome. But those awesome nights are are becoming few and far between for Denzel. People are rooting for him here. They're not going to turn on him, but they're expecting more out of Denzel.
0: You're a betting man, and I don't know that you are. um, Okay. What about the AFC North and how many teams they get in, and who are they? Like After what you saw from the Bengals and what you did to the Ravens, how many teams can the AFC North get in and, and who is left out?
3: That's a great question. I, I, I still think we can get two teams in. I just don't know what two
0: teams. Well, I think they can get at least two in.
3: Yeah, I, I, I don't know about. Excuse me, I don't know about the third team. I, I'm not.
0: I think the Steelers might be the fourth. By the way.
3: Yeah, I. You know, I. I think we all should learn a lesson by what happened to the Steelers last year, though. I mean, ten and zero. I didn't think was. I thought it was over. You know, I thought you guys had it. And eh, no, sudden, you know,
0: I was feeling really good around five and zero, six and zero after those Ravens and Titans games, and then it kind of started to get stale and people sort of figured out what they were doing and understanding that there was no run game and Roethlisberger was just throwing short a bunch. And it just took a defense capable of exploiting it when the red, sorry, the Washington football team uh, took care of business against them and had that good defensive front. And from there I was like, Oh, that's how you beat them. So like, I wasn't, I was feeling pretty good about six weeks in, and then I started to want like there's holes here, and then it just took a while for it to get exposed. And once it was exposed, Andy, it just it just went south, and it hasn't been fixed yet.
3: Yeah, I, you clearly know better than I do. I just you know we all looked, we were sitting here, we're going,
0: man, the Steelers are
3: ten and zero. Here we go
0: again, and we're going to be
3: looking at them for you know things are. We thought Ben was done. We you know we all thought all these things over here, and then all of a sudden everything turned. But I do think it's a lesson to be learned about you know, who you're playing against and how you can you can run up a quick record. I, I mean, no one thought the Bengals were going to be what they are right now. I was cons- I, like, I, I thought Bengals were probably third or fourth, and if Joe Burrow was going to look nowhere near the way he did last year coming off an of injury. St. Benzie, think about it. If they kick a field goal against Green Bay and Burrow doesn't go on a little bit of a, a run where he throws three interceptions in that game against the Bears, they're undefeated. That team has been an unbelievable surprise. That, not a surprise, but the way they've been able to grow and the way they've been able to play, there's no reason why. And they're, they're earning the, the accolades of the national media now. It took till yesterday to get it, but and you saw it firsthand. So, I, I, I mean, really, I, I've watched a couple Bengals games all the way through, but they're playing great football right now. I want to see what they look like in the second half of the season, though. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm scared of the Bengals right now. I love Burrow. I think he's a great quarterback.
0: Last thing, Andy, because uh, uh, we know each other from Columbus. Uh, I know that you still pay attention to Ohio State. It gets a lot of attention up in Cleveland. Does anybody in Ohio know that Pitt is good yet? And does anybody out there think that Kenny Pickett is a Heisman candidate like C.J. Stroud?
3: I wouldn't say that anybody's saying that. I was lucky enough. Uh, I was. It was Saturday. I was over at Robert Morris, and I was driving back after some hockey games, and I happened to catch some of the Pitt broadcast. And so I was listening. So I've kind of Dipped in on them a little bit, but no one over here knows what you're talking about. Nobody.
0: <laughs> well, that's, Nobody. that's sort of what I figured. Like, everybody sort of assumes, oh, Kenny Pickett and then Pitts just beat Clemson. So everybody knows they've arrived now. And I'm I'm not sure if people outside of here, you know, in bigger college football markets are still giving them the credit that they deserve for where they are in the ACC. You know what I mean? Oh,
3: yeah, but you know how it plays in Columbus. It's like, oh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, Clemson lost. Oh, they're done. Remember yeah. how we remember how this is a typical Buckeye fan. Remember how we put um, Miami away when they were so good? No two and Trestle won the national. Yeah, then we're going to put them. And I guess we put Clemson away too. So uh, (laughs) let's move on to the next. Where's Alabama? (laughs) Where'd they go? Oh, where'd they go? I mean, you know what the eyes of a Buckeye fan looks like. I I am one, but I still get it. And I I see the tosses and turns. um, (laughs) in how Buckeye fans pound their chest on some certain things. Ohio State has looked really, really good against some really, really bad teams over the last four weeks.
0: All right, so my thanks to Andy Baskin. We're back with you on Friday on the Pittsburgh CityCast. Much more on Pitt, more on the Steelers-Browns, more on the NFL as well. Then Mike Pursuita Saturday and Matt Williamson on Sunday before the games. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by BetRivers and BetRivers.com. Download the app today. The Pittsburgh CityCast is presented by BetRivers. Get paid faster with BetRivers Pay. Daily boosts, special offers, great customer service, plus a $250 first time sign up bonus. Make Bet Rivers your hometown sports book. Download the Bet Rivers app or visit BetRivers.com for details.
1: Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool.